American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. I've described the brutality that's inherent in the expansion of slavery in the U.S. I've talked about people ripped away from their families and loved ones and forced to march in chains for hundreds of miles. I've talked about brutal labor in the field that's pushed harder and faster every single day till it reaches a level uh, that just makes it impossible for us to think that people could even work that fast. And in fact, we see once slavery ends, the amount of cotton people pick per day actually drops. And I've, I've talked about the violence that's inherent in the domestic slave trade, the commodification of people, uh, and all of the many things uh, that could happen in the course of their forced transit from one part of the country to another in the hands and the power of someone else. All of those things were violent uh, and horrific. And so, of course, we're going to ask, did enslaved people resist? And if so, what difference did that make? Now, whenever we talk uh, about the history of capitalism, it seems, questions of resistance and consent always come up. And often when people look at the history of the United States specifically, uh, they say whether or not they think slavery was part of capitalism. They ask uh, how, how it was that enslaved people uh, didn't seem to resist at the same level or at least in the same way as did enslaved people, enslaved people in other societies. For instance, if you look at the history of the British West Indies uh, or of Saint-Domingue or the history of Brazil, what you see is large-scale revolt after large-scale revolt. And in the U.S., the record of large-scale revolt seems to be much, much shorter. There seem to be many fewer of them. In fact, if you look at the time from the Constitution to the beginning of the Civil War, I can only identify three large-scale revolts that actually happened. The first one is in 1811 in Louisiana, in which about 500 enslaved people participated. The second was Nat Turner's Revolt in 1831 in Virginia. Uh, approximately 200 enslaved people may have participated, and about 50 or 60 whites are killed. And 1859, John Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry, which a lot of people wouldn't even classify as a slave revolt uh, at all. Uh, although some enslaved people and some former slaves participated in the abolitionist John Brown's attempt to provoke a wider slave revolt in Northern Virginia. That's all. That's all we can think of. That's all we can find. And people have advanced different uh, reasons for the su supposed low level of revolts uh, in North American slave society. They might include um, a kind of complicity in the system, uh, enslaved people, uh, for one reason or another, um, identify uh, with their owners. That, that's often the, uh, the most popular claim. Um, historians might say that enslaved people identify with their owners because, uh, like their owners, they're also Protestant Christians who often worship at the same churches. Uh, or maybe they identify with their owners because enslaved people's families were often disrupted and supposedly the owner served as a father figure. But I think there's actually a different explanation. The real reason for the low level of large-scale slave revolt in the U.S. is that the demographics were simply very different uh, from what they were in, let's say, the, the British or, or French Caribbean. In societies like Jamaica or Saint-Domingue, enslaved people were about 90% of the population. 
even in the U.S. South states with the highest slave population, Louisiana, Mississippi, and South Carolina, enslaved people were a bare majority, just between 50 and 55 percent of the total population. And in the South as a whole, enslaved people were only one-third of the population. African-Americans, slave, free, combined, uh, were simply a minority. And they were outnumbered, they were outgunned, and they knew it. That wouldn't have mattered so much if the large number of whites in the American South who didn't own slaves had sided with enslaved people in an attempt to, let's say, overthrow the power of the planter class, but they didn't. They sided again and again with the planter class. Slaveholders had the advantage of demographics. They had allies uh, throughout the white non-slaveholding class in the South. And in fact, as we've seen, they had allies throughout the entire Atlantic world. They even, to a large extent, controlled the federal government. It wasn't just uh, that almost all of the presidents up until uh, 1840 uh, were slaveholders themselves or had come from slaveholding families. In fact, this was the case all the way through 1860. The majority of them were, were from slaveholding families. It wasn't just the case that uh, the South had disproportionate power in Washington. The federal government even helped to put down slave revolts. And all the major ones I mentioned, 1811, 1831, 1859, it was federal troops that helped to put down uh, the rebellion of slaves and their allies. The deck was stacked against slaves. If capitalism was going to develop in a direction that didn't depend directly, um, continually, uh, on the expansion of slavery, enslaved people were going to have to get some allies. And it would also be helpful if enslavers themselves would make some mistakes and do some things to help bring uh, their power, their dominance, to an end. And bizarrely enough, both of those things happened. Enslaved people would get help. They'd get help from white abolitionists in the North, but also from African Americans who escaped slavery, went to the North, and became the driving force in the development of American abolitionism, including Charles Ball himself. A few years after 1805, he had learned enough about the terrain of the place where he lived. He had heard enough stories about the way back north that he was able to make an escape attempt. And he traveled for several months until finally he was able to knock on his own door. He called inside and he said, it's Charles, let me in. And he didn't know. He didn't know, for instance, that there was a new man there. But his wife called out and said, who is that? It sounds like my husband. And in fact, he was home. So people like Charles Ball, who'd done incredible things like that, white abolitionists who went against the grain of power in their society, they would be tremendously important to bringing down this powerful system. And as I said, enslavers themselves would also make some key mistakes. For more information, go to edX.org and look for American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. Or go to facebook.com slash American Capitalism MOOC. This podcast has been brought to you by Cornell X from Cornell University. Mm -hmm.